just a word about my friend Sam Durbin. When I woke up the first morning in the parsonage out back, I heard a lawnmower and looked out the window and it was Sam mowing the lawn. I had met him earlier, but got to know him better as time passed and he became a wonderful, wonderful friend. Every week he mowed the lawn, he trimmed the trees, he fixed the sprinkler system, he killed fire ants. We went golfing every Monday together in a league for old men and after that a bunch of us went to Sonny's restaurant every, every Monday. We went out to eat together with family went to magic games together, and Sam became my counselor, my encourager, and my friend, and I deeply miss him. He had the gall to go see Jesus first, <laughs> and we praise the Lord for the privilege given to him to be with Jesus. You'll see the text on the screen behind us, different parts of the passage, and I'd like to talk to you about all 11 verses of chapter 2, 1 through 11. But the, the heart of the message will be that little phrase where Jesus said, draw some out now and take it to the master of the banquet. We'll get there a little bit later. Have you, have you known that the internet can educate you. I've always been interested in the English language and recently I've learned brand new definitions to words. I learned it on the internet. For instance, do you know the, the meaning of the word coffee? I, I had coffee this morning for breakfast. The meaning of the word coffee? I learned on the internet. Coffee means the person upon whom you cough. <laughs> I'm the cougher, you're the coffee. One more that uh, Stuart will relate to. Balderdash. Do you know what that word means? A rapidly receding hairline, balderdash. <laughs> well, I mention, I mention that because there's a word in our text that must be correctly defined in order to get the full benefit of that word. And I'm afraid there have been times when I've misunderstood that word. <clears throat> we'll get there in just a little while. Jesus' first miracle at Cana of Galilee. And in that text, it says that that miracle was performed as a sign. That is, an, a road marker, a, a promise of something that is going to happen. There are facts about this miracle that are taking effect in your life and my life right now. 
because that miracle was a sign of things to come. Before we look at the text, just a little bit of boring background. Um, the Egyptian forces under the leadership of Pharaoh were in hot pursuit after the Israelites. They wanted to kill them. And the Israelites, under the leadership of Moses, were fleeing for their life. Until finally they got to the shore of the Red Sea with nowhere to go. The cliffs of the Migdal Mountains on either side of them, the Egyptians behind them, and Israel, or Israel and the, the Sea of, in front of them. And God saw them and performed a miracle. He sent an east wind and it blew the waves back and, and so hard that there was a pathway on the floor of the sea so that the Israelites could walk across and reach what I call the salvation side of the Red Sea. And when they all got to the other side, the Egyptians followed the same path, and when they're down in the bottom on the floor of the sea, the, way, the wind stopped and the waters covered them and took their lives, Pharaoh included. And on the salvation side of the Red Sea, Moses wrote a song. And the key words of that song were these. The Lord has become my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And Israel sang it for decades. Sometime later, Israel had disobeyed the Lord and they were not enjoying good fellowship with him. And the prophet Isaiah prayed that they would be forgiven, see the error of their way and make an about face. And they did and God forgave them. And upon receiving God's forgiveness, Isaiah wrote a song. He plagiarized Moses at first because the first part of his song was, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And then Isaiah continued, With joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And Israel sang that song for a long, long time. The idea of equating a water well with the blessing of God is an idea that can be found throughout the pages of Scripture. It appears in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You'll see a water well often referred to. The couple fell in love, and they decided to get married. They made all the plans necessary for the wedding. They arranged for the clergyman and the location. They arranged for the banquet hall. They arranged for the menu, the drinks. They made a list of all those people they would like to invite to the wedding and sent out invitations. Back in the corner, the father of the bride could be seen 
frowning, looking into his empty wallet. I guess that's a custom every time there's a wedding. I remember that. And among the guests that were invited to the wedding <clears throat> were Jesus of Nazareth, his mother Mary, and Jesus' disciples. They accepted the invitation and they attended the wedding. <clears throat> the wedding was a wonderful success. The reception afterward was a joyful occasion until someone came to the master of the banquet and, and said, the wine is all gone. Can't, that can't happen. That's, that's the key ingredient in the festivities. Can't happen. And, and Jesus' mother, Mary, overheard, overheard that dilemma and went and told Jesus. I, I, hope, I hope you go and tell Jesus about everything. It's a wonderful lesson just in that little phrase. She went and told Jesus. Tell him about everything, the good and the bad. And in just a few minutes, Jesus called some of the helpers over and said, go get six of those water vessels that we use for purification and uh, fill them with water. And they did. And then Jesus said those words that I mentioned earlier. Draw some now and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did. And when he took the cup, he looked and first noticed that it didn't look like water. Took a sip and said, this is wine. This is wine. The wine was all gone. Where did it come from? And the text says the servants knew where it came from. He didn't know, but the servants knew, and they pointed to Jesus. The sign that I talked about earlier begins here. The first part of the sign is this. At the wedding at Cana of Galilee... Jesus demonstrated his power to solve, S-O-L-V-E. And he has gone right on solving for you and me ever since. He sees every situation, and he's the solver. Jesus demonstrated his power to solve. Now, I, I don't know exactly how to explain what to expect when I make that comment about Jesus' ability to solve. He certainly doesn't solve every one of our problems in the fashion in which we would prefer that he solve it. You see, Jesus thinks about the eternal and the spiritual, and, and we think about the temporal and the material. And so sometimes it doesn't happen just as we would long for it to happen. But in every case, I can tell you based on that word sign that Jesus is our problem solver. He always does that. In the um, book rack in front of you, there's a hymnal. And in the hymnal, there's a song written by Oswald Smith. And... Uh, 
a few of the words go like this. The Savior can solve every problem. The tangles of life he'll undo. There's nothing too hard for Jesus. There's nothing that he cannot do. Jesus demonstrated his power to solve. And then as he took a sip of that wine, the master of the banquet was shocked regarding the quality of that wine. And he called the bridegroom over and said, I have to have a talk with you. You have done something that is not in line with custom. You always serve the best wine first. And then after the guests have been drinking wine all evening, you can serve the cheap wine and they won't know the difference. That's our custom. You serve the best wine first. And you have served the best wine last. And in that part of the sign, we read this. At the wedding at Cana of Galilee, Jesus demonstrated his power to satisfy. And he's gone right on satisfying you. Every aspect of your life, if you can read it well, he satisfies. I want to mention what Sam was talking about earlier. When I walked in earlier this morning, on the screen was a song that was being rehearsed for today's service. And I stopped in my tracks back by the last pew and couldn't believe what I saw. Sam and I had not spoken to each other about today's service. And yet, he chose that song. And down through the years, there have been times when God has confirmed to me, to my heart, that what I was to speak about was his plan. I hope there weren't too many times when I said things that were just mine. But, but he has confirmed things, and he confirmed this today. And, and all I intend to do is brag about Jesus, so I have no idea what it is he wants to do in our lives this morning. But that, that was a jolt of pleasant surprise when I saw that song on the, on the screen. How many of you know of or have heard of George Beverly Shea? Okay, you're not as old as I am, but his name. George Beverly Shea passed away at the age of 104 a few years ago. George tells a story in his book entitled Songs That Warm the Heart. That one day his father, who was pastor of the Wesleyan Methodist Church in a little teeny town in southwestern New York State called Houghton, where Houghton College is, uh, his father took him to the store one morning in the little town, and their, their goal was to find a gift for George Beverly Shea's mother. When they came out of the store and began walking toward home, because you could do that, you could walk to home from anywhere. It was such a small town. 
while they were walking along the sidewalk, an elderly lady came walking toward them. And when they got near each other, Reverend Shea greeted her, and she greeted him, and they all kept on walking. After his father and he got a little bit farther away from the lady, George Beverly Shea's father said, Son, that lady's name is Clara Williams. She writes hymns. When we get home, I'll have Mom play one of the hymns for you. I think you'll like it. When they got home, Mom played the hymn. And George Beverly Shea said, I, I loved that hymn from the first time I heard it. It stuck with me. I memorized it. That's when he was eight years old. When he was a teenager, he was invited to sing a solo in their church. And he chose that song. That song is in your hymnal also. It's entitled, Satisfied. The song I saw on the screen when I walked in this morning. All my life long, I have panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hope would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Hallelujah, I have found him, whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. By his blood, I now am saved. Jesus demonstrated his power to satisfy. Has he satisfied you? Do you know him as your Savior and Lord? Satisfied. There's one more S word. Solve, satisfied, and sustained. Now, now this is where... This is where my misunderstanding of a word in our text comes in. For a long, long time, I was under the impression that when Jesus had those servants set the jugs filled with water, 20 to 30 gallons each, aside, that he intended to change the water in the jugs to wine. It's just my misunderstanding. You don't draw water out of jugs you pour it when he said draw out now he meant go to the well and draw some out and as long as that banquet lasted every sip of wine came out of that well you see Jesus would not subject himself to the limitations of the jugs they could, they could use that up, and then what would they do? That's not how Jesus works. He uses wells, and that's why the, the idea of wells appears so many places in Scripture. It was, it was the well that provided the miraculous wine. And there was no limit. Because Jesus demonstrated his power to sustain to keep the party going. 
to go on solving your problems and satisfying your soul forever. That's what he does. Sustain. The tranquility in Abraham's house had been shattered. Thirteen years earlier, before this sad day, thirteen years earlier, Sarah had come to an understanding that she was barren and could not offer to give birth to a child for Abraham. And so she suggested 13 years ago that she give Hagar, their maid servant, to Abraham to be his wife. 16th chapter of Genesis will tell you that. And he agreed, and Hagar gave Abraham a son. And his name was Ishmael. <clears throat> but now, 13 years later, Sarah is blessed by God and her barrenness healed and she gives Abraham a son and his name is Isaac. I, I didn't know for a long, long time that it was 13 years. I just figured that out by reading the Bible. I guess you can do that and learn some things. So now, with Isaac in her arms, Sarah says to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman. That was interesting to me. Thirteen years ago, Sarah referred to her as my maidservant and your wife. And now she says, get rid of that slave woman. Which says to me that it's possible, men, it's possible that to have two wives at the same time might cause a problem. I'm not a marriage counselor, so don't take that as gospel. So Abraham packed her backpack, including a bottle of water, and sent them off. And Hagar and Ishmael went into the desert, and it wasn't long before that little bottle of water was empty. And Hagar was afraid that they both would die of, start, of, of thirst. And so she, she had Ishmael sit under a shade tree, and she went off about 100 yards so that she would not hear the baby die. And they both wept. She cried and he cried. And God came to Hagar and said, Hagar, I, I heard your son crying. Look. And she turned aside and saw, well, you, you already know. She saw a well. A well that was not there before. A well. And she drew water from the well. And from that day on, Hagar and Ishmael were healthy. And Hagar, or Ishmael became the father of a great nation, though it wasn't much like Israel. Yet he lived because she saw a well. Well of water ever springing 
bread of life, so rich and free. Untold wealth that never faileth is my Savior's love for me. That's the last verse in that song by Clara Williams. Well of water, ever springing, so rich and free. My, my goal is not to preach at anyone. My goal is simply to brag about Jesus. That day he demonstrated his power to solve. Trust him. He demonstrated his power to satisfy, enjoy him, taste and see that the Lord is good. He demonstrated his power to sustain, to keep us going. And on and on and on throughout all of eternity, he will be the source of everything that we need. You probably have a favorite Bible verse. I... I have had a favorite Bible verse a few times, but recently I ran across one that has been a source of great joy. Before I read it, I'd like to invite the worship team and those who will be helping with communion to come and take their places, because this will be very brief. Absalom had disobeyed and had to be banished from the family. And all of the time Absalom was banished, David, his dad, had a heart that was broken and longed to be reunited with Absalom. The circumstances happened so that that could take place. But part of the circumstances involved a lady who came to speak with King David and encouraged him to fix it so Absalom, the banished one, could come home. And he did. But, but during the discussion with King David, she said this. 2 Samuel 14, 14, I think it's now my favorite verse. The more I read it, the more I'm thrilled. Listen to the words. She said, But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. Isn't that a wonderful verse? He devised a plan so that this banished person does not have to remain estranged from him. We're going to partake of communion now, and, and I just want to suggest that the communion table says the same thing that every story in the Bible says, that Jesus has come to demonstrate his power to solve, satisfy, and sustain. He's solved our sin problem by dying at the cross. He satisfies us by washing us with his blood. And he'll sustain that ministry forever. 
Let's pray.